watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to take a look at three new releases. Ghost in the Shell, The Zookeeper's Wife, and The Boss Baby. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being the highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. Jason, what's up with you? Well, thank you for asking. Um, I had a rare opportunity uh, on Tuesday night to attend uh, a storytelling show called Out Loud uh, that I've spoken at in the past that's uh, moderated by Peaches Christ, Joshua Grinnell, friend of the show. Because normally on Tuesday nights, I'm at movies. Mm-hmm. So like most mostly every single week, like anytime I get an invitation for something that's like Monday or Tuesday at 7 p.m., I'm just like, fuck. Yeah. Um, because it's that podcasting life. You, you know? know what it is. What am I going to do? Um, just like, you know, Thursday. Live hard. <laughs> podcast pod, hard. Pod hard, I guess. Let's go with that. Yeah. Um, so I got to go to Out Loud and, uh, and see some hilarious, amazing stories uh, around the theme road trips. Mm. And um, and you know it's 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 a very queer crowd that Joshua sort of curates to do storytelling at these shows, and it was a delightful night. But it led to me um, talking to uh, a local dude named uh, Wonder Dave, who's sort of a luminary on like the storytelling and stand up scene. And he does a show called Literary Pop, which is a storytelling show where people just talk about their pop culture obsessions. Oh. And so we were chatting and I mentioned him what I do for a living. And he was like, oh, well, you should do the next literary pop. And I was like, okay. Um, and then like, I just got off the top of my head. I'm like, has anybody ever talked about the Real Housewives? <laughs> he was like, no, no, they haven't. Is this going to be like that time you tried to be on the moth and then you got voted last? I wasn't <laughs> voted last. I was voted last of the guys. <laughs> it was all men. <laughs> there were some I was, I was more questioning. Uh, so, um, so now I am just like in this space mentally where I'm like, what do I talk about? Because how do Mm. I narrow down like my pop culture obsessions? So you have to like, it's really not about what you love the most. It's about like, what would be the funniest thing as a story to tell? Yeah, definitely. So like I'm weighing, um, and maybe it's just cause it's fresh in my mind because this past weekend we celebrated the birthday of a, of a dear friend of the show, D Fitz, David Fitzgerald D Fitz. by, uh, he rented out a small movie theater, uh, in the mission and had a private screening of the craft for his dear, uh, nearest and dearest. And the craft was hugely influential to me and it absolutely did turn me into like a ninth grade witch. <laughs> um, I can only imagine what that looked like. Um, pretty much like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, it was... So I feel like there's something there. I feel like I could talk about Julianne Moore. I could talk about, Ooh. yeah, I mean. That's a good one. That's I mean, I could maybe one. incorporate my Magnolia thing into it. Uh, incorporate the creepy bookstore thing. I know. Well, the book, I know. That's why I was just rereading my thing I wrote about that at the time and be like, is this funny? And I'm like, yeah, this is still funny. I could talk about. It Ju- was a children's book, right? It was a children's yeah, book. Yeah, that's why it's funny. Yeah. Um, and there's a picture of me that I could show at the end of it, <laughs> like where I'm just staring at her adoringly and she's looking at me with great concern in her eyes. <laughs> I, I could talk about Juliet Lewis. I could talk about when I wrote a letter to her in high school and she replied with Scientology literature. <laughs> um, and you've been I, a member ever since. I could talk about dance moms since I stalk that studio as well. Um, there's, yeah, I'm really, so guys, if there's any of, if you've heard these stories from me, 
or if there's just anything that you think of on the top of your heads, you just let me know. I feel like I'm just going to say, again, Julianne Moore, and you can do your uh, Magnolia impression. I know, that's what I said. Oh, I, could I, do, yeah, I was I could too do the busy thinking what thing. I was going to say. <laughs> I'm sorry, what did you just say? What? Um, no, okay, so. That's one of my favorite you? things. Yeah, I know, I know. It's, 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 it's fun to do, and I mean, it would take up, you know, stage time. So if I have to, like, stall, <laughs> if I can't think of enough to fill the stage time, I'll be like, and to close, motherfucker. <laughs> motherfucker, motherfucker! Oh, no, we don't have time now. I know. Um, you just don't want me to like scream it into the, I don't. the mic. I, and we then put a lot of money into this equipment. We don't want it to blow out. Don't want it again. to do the volume controls level later. So it's that like, is we'll be like doing a Coachella back here. <laughs> but hands it, all over the cables. It's real. So it's it's really just throw me into the position where I'm just like I don't know what is my like what is like my my funniest pop culture obsession that I who could like. Who are you? Who am I? It's really it's an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. Is what it is. Um, and, uh, so I wanted to throw it out there to our listeners and also to you, since you have to hear me talk mm. about this bullshit every week, every fucking week, every fucking week. So like, what's funny when I talk about it, you're like, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, do you think of yourself as a funny person? <laughs> that's, that's too bad. It's tough to hear. It's tough Let's to hear. take this offline. Let's <laughs> take it offline. <laughs> you know what? I'll ping you later when I think of something. You can circle back. Uh, you had a really funny thing to say about the Super Bowl, didn't you? Did I? No. <laughs> no. I'm like, okay, I guess. If that's what the public wants. No. You're like, no, you didn't. Mm-mm. You did not. Not at all. Oh, man. So, yeah, good luck to you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so, what's up with you? So, in lieu of uh, traditional what's up with me this week, I'm going to read the beginning of a heartwarming story I read just moments ago um, on local blog SFist. Um, and the story goes like this. Boo-boo, NorCal cat who disappeared four years ago, found healthy, happy in Canada. Well, this is just the feel-good story of your entire life. It really is. Um, I'll just read read the intro. Uh, Late Friday night, Ashley Alleman of Watsonville, California, got a call she wasn't expecting. The Guelph Humane Society of Ontario, Canada, rang her up to say their cat, Boo-boo, was safe at their shelter, identified by a microchip. Microchip. Yeah. This is, this is, so there's a, it's in the cat? Yeah, you can go to the vet and they can put a little chip in the cat and then then whenever it shows up in a shelter, they can check to see if it's been chipped and it has your information in it. That sounds uh, invasive. Have you done this to your cats? Um, I think chicken's chipped, but teacup is not chipped. No, no. no, Teacup's like, I wish you would. Yeah, no, she, uh, bitch, chip me, I think is what she said. (laughs) Um, Don't chip me, bro. (laughs) She has us chipped though, so. Okay. She knows where I am, right? She's texting me right now. She's calling the shots. Um, so yeah, uh, Boo-Boo was lost four years ago in California and the owner has assumed the worst. Um, and the quote is, we thought we had lost our cat Boo-Boo out in the wildlife, but it turns out she was just having a trip to Canada. (laughs) Alleman writes on her GoFundMe page where she's hoping to round up $600 for travel fees for Bobo, who apparently doesn't remember the way back. (laughs) Also, $600 for a flight from Toronto. Also, you just said Bobo. Bobo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> should point that out okay it's boo-boo <laughs> to be clear what the, cat, is, the cat's name is boo-boo is he about flying business class with six hundred dollars from ontario to that seems the Bay Area? that seems like a lot i don't know what all that's covering but also boo-boo should think long and hard about whether or not boo-boo still wants to come back oh yeah it's a different world it's a different it's time not four years ago no boo-boo. four years ago you were a fool to leave for canada stay where you are stay boo-boo they should <laughs> Boo-boo sit. 
Boo Boo sit, Boo Boo lay down. They should boo-boo. go move to visit Boo Boo and live there. Boo Boo go boy. <laughs> You've never had a cat. <laughs> <laughs> that part is I'm like, very oh, clear. Oh, I thought it was a child. It's a cat? <laughs> oh, it's a cat. Okay. Uh, I wonder if Boo Boo will even be able to get back in. I know. It's real tough. Does he have his papers? I mean, I think that it's there's there's going to be a lot. I think they're and they're not Boo Boo is going to be restricted on both sides because they're not mm-hmm. even letting school children cross over into the U.S. anymore from no. Canada for trips. Can't so wait to see the follow up of this story. It's going to be. I think Boo Boo is going to ignite a firestorm. Boo Boo's like <laughs> shit. They found me. <laughs> I know. He has a whole second life in Canada. I mean, Toronto is such a fine city, and I think I would encourage Boo Boo to wait it out, and I will come and find Boo Boo, and we can get coffee when I'm up there for tiff. <laughs> brings it back to that every time Ding. um so that's what's up with me um <laughs> very exciting story t- thank you let's talk about the first movie this week which is ghost in the shell in the near future major is the first of her kind a human who is cyber enhanced to be a perfect soldier devoted to stopping the world's most dangerous criminals when terrorism reaches a new level that includes the ability to hack into people's minds and control them major is uniquely qualified to stop it as she prepares to face a new enemy Major discovers that she has been lied to, and that her life was not saved. Instead, it was stolen. You never talk about your past. I don't remember much. Just fragments. There was an attack. You were dying. We saved you. And now you save others. Everything they told you was a lie. You had a family. Remember that. So I was not able to see Ghost in the Shell, unfortunately, um, because I had other plans. And initially, as I think we complained about last week, possibly on the show, we <laughs> oh, got that one. We did not take that one off the site. <laughs> we did not think we were going to get invited. Um, so but many we, bad. We did. It did come through at the last minute. Our thanks uh, to uh, our, our friends in the local publicity team for Paramount. <laughs> Forget uh, everything Jason for, said about you. For, yes, I take it all back. You're wonderful people, and you don't at all deserve to burn in hell. <laughs> um, I kid um, a little. But so, but I didn't get to go, but Rebecca did get to go. I and did. I'm so bummed I didn't get to see it because obviously, for, you know, on the one hand, it's been such a lightning rod of controversy, and on the mm-hmm. other, it's Scarlett Johansson and Juliet Binoche, and I love them both. You do. Um, and they were both uh, in it. <laughs> That's my review. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I can really tell you were watching. Mm, yep, I was paying very close attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> exclusive hot scoop for Rebecca. <laughs> they are in the movie. They're in the movie. Brennan. Done. Um, so I think it's important to say that um, I had not seen Ghost in the Shell before. I had not seen the television series, or uh, read the comics, or um, seen the movies. But I did see the movie after I, I saw the original 1995 uh, animated version after I saw um, the new version last night. Yeah. So a little bit of context. And Jason, you, in terms I'm of completely, fandom? Completely ignorant to all of it. Don't know any of it. Okay. No, I have never been a fan of anime at all. Mm-hmm. Not even a little bit. Which is funny because you love graphic t-shirts <laughs> with drawings on them. Oh, like, because all drawings are the same, Rebecca. I mean. <laughs> Real insightful point. Thank you. They're <laughs> cartoons of drag queens, basically. 
Always. <laughs> Listen, there's something about this specific style of manga that's always turned me off. Mm-hmm. Or not a manga, but of anime. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I've just never been interested. Okay. I didn't like Eon Flux. I didn't like Liquid TV. <laughs> there's a certain kind of animation style that I have a long-standing irrational disinterest in. You're just Powerpuff Girls or nothing with you. Absolutely. Um, okay, so I think that this movie, this movie, I've also, I, I wanted to see it, even though I also had a kind of a similar disinterest in you know comic book movies and things like that but it's come up kind of in my life a bit recently um one i've been watching a lot of star trek the next generation and there's always issues around sentience and ai and robots when you can when you regard beloved data um and then in addition i'm taking a couple of classes and and a lot of them have to do with like uh one is about science the science of religion and so that's a lot about mind-body dualism and why people believe and why we sort of think that way and the other one is um I don't want to go into it, but also talks a lot about philosophy and like uh, Cartesian duality and things like that. So are you taking the science of religion class so you can like have some epic takedown of me at some point in the near <laughs> I'm future? I'm just building my argument. I always just squirreling away. It's always about you. I know it is. I'm not trying to. Thank to... you for acknowledging mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So I was I was really interested in, you know, this movie has um, a, a cult following and it has influenced The Matrix, which I feel like, you know, when I saw The Matrix or uh, when it came out, being younger at the time was like like mind-blowing in terms of like philosophy in a mo- in an action movie right it really bridged that gap between giving you something to, to chew on and like giving you something entertaining to watch and I, that's what i was hoping for with this movie and uh and meanwhile when i watched the matrix for the first time in the theater i li- wanted something more literal to chew on because i just remember being really hungry and i <laughs> to this day don't like the matrix because i was really hungry the whole time when i was watching it so so something to chew on but not in the sense that actually means something bring that bring a sandwich next time matrix that's all i have to say about that <laughs> you you say so you could have just been bent over shoveling in yeah, your mouth not exactly attention. that's all I, I was like my body was like preparing itself it was like getting into that shape it wanted the food so badly but anyway anyway so, um, so yeah, and once again, not an expert um, in the movie and in the tradition of the story, but I think that looking at it, looking at it from that hopeful lens of like it's going to be like the Matrix, I think that you've you found that um, in the original movie, having seen that later, um, it's a lot more deliberative. There's a lot more dialogue. It, it asks a lot of existential questions. Um, which, 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 what compared to what has those things? Uh, the animated original movie okay. has a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and then in watching the movie last night, um, it, the conclusion is that I don't think it's going to be received well by fans of the original and the, the people who really believe in it and enjoyed that part about it because it's missing that a lot. It kind of changes the focus to more about the individuality of the main character um, and her like past identity, which is kind of a kind of a I don't know it feels like it's been done before it's kind of like I don't know there are other movies that are they're like that even in action um I want to say uh born identity maybe like he's kind of like trying to figure out who he is and why he's doing these things oh sure yeah um, yeah that's a pretty common trope but which could have all sprung from being influenced by the original ghost in the shell but that's not really what the first ghost in the shell oh, necessarily is about I so see. it kind of like it doesn't it doesn't the new movie doesn't really follow the inspiration to the first one it kind of just kind of relies on this made up a new story that's that's not that original either Hmm. um so i will say i was left a little disappointed um even before having watched and and then so you watched the ghost in the shell last night and then earlier today you watched the original yes so so you watched them in reverse order yeah and i had an expectation 
hearing what I have heard, I had heard about the first one of the new one. So thought of it would at least carry kind of the similar storyline and, and, and have some of the, that um, kind of that to think about in it. And it didn't. And that was a little disappointing. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, this movie is in IMAX, which I highly recommend if you're going to see it, you should see it. Yeah, it's worth it. It is like uh, it's like a roller coaster. I think my mouth was open throughout the entire movie. Did you wear your arms up? Uh, <laughs> everybody kept telling me to like put them down, but I was like, ah. "Yeah, like, it's a roller coaster, you assholes!" Right. You <laughs> my, put your hands in the air. Right, you had that weird feeling in your stomach, like, "Oh boy, no, we're going for a loop." <laughs> Butterflies the whole time. Just puked everywhere. Um, it looks amazing. There are scenes in that movie that, and that made me feel like the Matrix, like the first mm. time he does bullet time and kind of like right. bends over. And we all collectively, um, as a country, we're like. <laughs> Guess you can do that now. Yeah. Um, it does that. It it does that with the way she moves. It does that with the way it kind of overlays AI onto a scene. Um, it is it is beautiful. It is hmm. technically um, inspiring and amazing, and it's it's a really fun watch. Okay. Um, so it's 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 entertaining. Yeah, I would say if you haven't, if you don't have any of the expectations or mm-hmm. you haven't seen the first one, this is going to be a lot of fun and be sure to see it in IMAX. So as a female driven action movie, mm-hmm. uh, does it feel like it's, uh, you know, did you feel like it was an empowering story or did it feel like it was more universal in this, you know, the fact that she's female sort of incidental to the larger framework of this, this kind of musing on identity and soul and all that stuff? So the character of Major is supposed to be this, you know, this manufactured object um, and not really a woman. And but she, you know, anatomically resembles mm-hmm. a woman more and is treated as a human. So she's identified as a woman. Right. Um, but I don't think that that is necessarily how the character, how Scarlett Johansson plays that character. Okay. Um, there's one scene in the movie where they kind of break into this club and are having it out with like these kind of like mob bosses and there's a bit of sexualization there where they kind of like tie her to a stripper pole and like, hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's all in the context of this, like this war. But, um, that in that part that, that it was, it was, um, I felt like it was unnecessary. It's not at all referenced in the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed a bit gratuitous. Mm-hmm. Did you see under the skin? The movie where she played the alien that takes a female oh, no, form. I haven't. And, oh my God. Okay, well, first of all, that movie is amazing. Okay. Um, but it's similar in the sense that she plays, you know, she is a non, she's basically an alien who takes the form of this woman mm-hmm. and, you know, and prowls like the Scottish countryside, preying on these dudes who she's going to like seduce and then like eat more or less. And, um, but it turns into this sort of like meditation on the experience, uh, like the female experience of like the way that she, mm. now she's taken the form of this like hot young lady. Um, the way that the world responds to her mm-hmm. um, and the way that, you know, that men, um, you know, it mostly works to her advantage in the sense that she's able to use her form to like seduce these guys who are basically meals for her. But also she experiences uh, sort of like the entire array of of male uh, interaction um, mm. that a woman would experience. And so, so it's very, very fascinating. It's a very cool movie. So that's why I thought it was interesting that she was taking this on again. I don't it's know clear what, she's been typecast. It is. Well, it's so interesting. And she also was the voice in her. Oh, you know, right, yeah. So she so really, like, she's drawn to these like things. You like a woman, <laughs> <who's not> unquestionably, <laughs> but there's something about you. She looks too good is really. the problem. She looks too good. <laughs> Clearly you've been manufactured. They don't trust it. We they don't, don't know who you are it. inside. Uh, and uh, I saw a, a review refer to her performance as Kubrickian. Oh, interesting. Yes. I don't know if you would agree. I mean, how would you describe that as a performance? When I you guess say it's a Kubrickian performance. Well, when, I, when I think Kubrickian, I just think like sort of detached. 
Yeah. I mean, like, cold, yeah. chilly. Okay. Um, and I think that, that that's the character as well. Um, yeah. You know, it's someone who's kind of been thrown into this body and in, in the, in this, you know, futuristic world. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a sense of, there's a, there's no sense of like feeling one and in, one in oneself mm-hmm. that is very, this person just becomes very mission driven. Um, so yeah, I, I could see that. I saw another review that said the movie was uh, all shell, no ghost. <laughs> all shell, no ghost. They focus on the ghost part of the story in a way that they didn't in the mm-hmm. original. Um, like kind of giving it this backstory that she's, sure. she's trying to investigate, um, which felt a little unnecessary. Um, I think that they were my my takeaway from that little like quip was they were saying kind of to your point that it's all just the shell. Like the movie is just oh, it's like, beautiful, it, like, yeah. but there's no and there's not no, no heart, substance no to substance. it. No substance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is kind of a shame, but I mean that the shell is <laughs> the shell is something else. Is something. Else. This movie is directed by Rupert Sanders, who made Snow White and the Huntsman, mm-hmm. and who is best known in the tabloids for having had the strange, the affair with Kristen Stewart. But then, but that thing where do you remember when this happened? Mm-mm, no. Um, so it was something that you know she so she made that movie, and then she was still technically dating our Pats, and then these photos came out of her and this director hooking up. Um, doing air quotes in Hawaii. And then they're like, oh, no, now her and our pats have to break up. And it's just, it's suspicious. And she's like, and she's kind of, she's owned it more or less in interviews. But, you know, now that she's like basically out and is like the lesbian we always knew she would be. Totinos. It just, it just feels like, like maybe that whole thing was just like an arranged finale to the showmance that she had with our pats <laughs> the whole time making Twilight. Um, anyway, so point being, this director is 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 the notorious man from those pictures that just destroyed the 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 hearts of Twihards across the world, and it really upset President Trump. Yes, that too. He had a lot to say on the subject. Uh, so this is his uh, first film since No Way and the Huntsman, I believe, and uh, and it's a film that has been mired in he he stepped from controversy into more controversy with mm-hmm. this one. Uh, because there were uh, there was controversy from the very beginning when it was announced that it would be um, you know starring white people. Yeah. Uh, so and we you know I know you've you know we've talked about this a fair bit between ourselves and we've been reading you know the thoughts of the guy who created the original mm-hmm. um, who has who you know d- d- disagrees entirely with the attack against the casting who he's on the side of the casting, but also I think he was maybe not fully grasping. What the argument is? Yeah, I, I think, think there's was... two. There are two issues here. Yeah, and one is like in the context of the story, what does it mean? And then the other is like in the context of Hollywood and diversity right. and equal opportunity and not, you know. So I think in the story, um, it here they they have sort of like there's you know the who you would say are the bad guys. It's like corporation that makes these um, all these uh, cyborg um, prostheses and and these bodies that that society has adopted to make everything more advanced. Um, and that company, uh, they're all white. So it would make sense to me that you would make these sort of like these images in or these uh, creations in your image. So I mm-hmm. think that it makes sense in the story. Um, uh, but yeah, in terms of like what what it means for Hollywood and it would have been an opportunity for somebody to get a, get a job in a, in a big role, then that's a totally different conversation. Right, yeah. So as, as in... Um as in the case of, uh, you know, somewhat similar to the Ancient One in Doctor Strange, the character that Tilda Swinton played. The issue, again, is 
just a lack of roles mm-hmm. for Asian actors in Hollywood. Uh, so, so it seems like in, in it's, I don't know, it's frustrating to think that we will just like have, you know, this sort of internet conversation, like every time that there's something that, you know, sort of goes a little astray of, uh, of, of what could be, or, you know, that catches someone's attention the wrong way. Uh, but you know, like, I guess it's something that that's the idea is you have to like wear it down, you know, like you have to, you know, everything has to keep being called out and spoken against, uh, until, you know, changes are made. But one interesting thing I saw was, um, something about how like Japanese fans of the original, uh, were surprised to hear about the casting controversy because they were like, well, it's a Hollywood movie. So yeah, it's going to star white people. Hmm, um, you know, which I think reflects both like a kind of, you know, the view of Hollywood from outside, mm-hmm. um, but also some realities about like just what people expect. You know, people are like Hollywood is is, uh, is predominantly white and always yeah. has been. And so they're like, well, yeah, sure. Of course, it's a Hollywood remake because it's going to be starring white people. What's, right. the, what's, what's the problem? What's the question? Um, so, yeah, so it's, it continues to be complex, thorny area. I mean, the but ideally, but this one, we you could think like... you're, you're OK with this one. Ideally, you could have flexibility in a role like this and you could be able to change out, you know, uh, how characters are are represented. If, you know, the next rom-com blockbuster that comes out next week stars like an Asian lead. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. If we just had, if there was... You know, if it wasn't, uh, it was, we weren't so it starved all, for roles. Yeah, exactly. So like each one that comes up ends up having to represent the entirety of the issue. Right. Because there's such a, such a, a drought right. um, everywhere else. This movie does seem to feature, are there any actors of color in the cast? Um, there are a few like sort of side bit characters. Oh, okay. um, just there's like kind of, you know, the posse of the, right. the group that, that she works with. Okay. So it's also just um, a very white movie. Yeah, there's, you know, there's uh, Julia Pinoche, Michael Pitt, mm-hmm. um, that guy, Pelu Asbeck mm-hmm. from, the... from one movie we watched. Yeah, what is he in? He was in that one D- Danish war movie. Oh, A War. A War. <laughs> it, was a movie, it was about a war. What the fuck was it called? <laughs> Um, so yeah, so it's a hella white cast. So yeah, it definitely, definitely didn't, didn't do itself any favors. Unlike Doctor Strange, it really went out of its way to sort of like have key uh, characters of color. This one is just like white, 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 white. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's <laughs> you're, like, you're like what? What do you want me to say? That's it. Yeah. Um, so which is yeah, not not ideal. So maybe it's it's I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it sounds like yeah, it sounds like we're saying it. It sounds like it's just sort of like. It makes sense in the conversation, and it sucks that every time something like this comes up, it has to shoulder the entire conversation mm-hmm. on, on, on itself, um, even though in this case it seems like within the context of the movie and based on the or, you know the guy who made the original's you know, summation, it is irrelevant. Um, right. But all the same, it'd be great to see more actors who are not white getting great roles. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, why wasn't it, you know, a black male or... Um, anybody else? Why did it have to go? I mean, the right. answer is because they wanted Scarlett Johansson. Right, exactly. Name on it. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's a studio name. movie. Yeah, they want a big movie star. They're not going to like their, their <laughs> which brings back to the conversation of business. Exactly. So, um, so I'm going to go ahead and give this movie a binge it. Oh, really? I am. Yeah. Oh my god, I am shocked. Yeah. I didn't see this coming. There was one more twist. It oh was my a binge god. it. Oh, um, I am shocked. You know, caveat is if you are a diehard fan of the original, mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a consume plus maybe a binge minus. Okay. Wow. But um, you put it, you just go spend the extra <clears throat> spend the extra coin, put on those glasses, and oh. it looks fucking insane. Ooh. It is oh, it is a 
it's a real visual ride. This movie gave you an escape you were looking for. It sure did. It was from you. And now I'm here. <laughs> so I'm glad you didn't go. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's rated PG-13 for intense sequences of sci-fi violence, suggestive content, and some disturbing images. And speaking of disturbing images, the next movie... <laughs> Cha-cha-cha. Is... <laughs> Off to a great start. Let's the go. The zookeeper's wife. The zookeeper's wife. Little did you know that I grew up in a predominantly Polish neighborhood, and I do know how to pronounce Polish names. Oh. Jason's trying to trip me up with this intro. I, I, I didn't make up I their names, you, you asshole. <laughs> sure, it's based on a real life story. It's based on a book, a nonfiction book. I, I don't think it's clear that like every week when I read the introductions, um, I mess it up. <laughs> Time and time again, we go yeah. through it, we go through it. And anytime it involves a name. Yeah, day becomes night. And she's still working on the same summary, trying to get through it just, clean. Just, just miles of tape on the editing floor. Mm-hmm. Um, Very wasteful. So let's, let's give this one a shot right. um, for the zookeeper's wife. The time is 1939 and the place... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That one, that was for the laughs. That was on purpose. I knew I'd get you. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> the time is 1939 and the place is Poland, homeland of Antonia Zabinski and her husband, Dr. Jan Zabinski. The Warsaw Zoo flourishes under Jan's stewardship and Antonia's care. When their country is invaded by the Nazis, Jan and Antonia are forced to report to the Reich's newly appointed chief zoologist, Lutz Heck. The Zabinskis covertly begin working with the resistance and put into action plans to save the lives of hundreds from what has become the Warsaw Ghetto. The country is completely overrun. They're forcing Jews out of their homes. They're taking us all to the ghetto. Thousands of people are dying. The littlest of children. We have room. We could hide them. Bring as many as you can. So this is one that Jason saw that I didn't see. Um, I was supposed to, but I couldn't make it through the trailer without crying. So I just, I wasn't, I didn't didn't have the space to be that upset. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, I see Zoo warning signs go up immediately mm-hmm. and then you know 10 seconds into the trailer the nazis bomb the zoo mm-hmm. and i just i couldn't and then i watched it this i watched the trailer the second time and the opening scene where jessica chastain has the two lion cubs on the bed i was like oh my god that's my cats and then the bombing and i knew where the bombing was and i just couldn't so i shut it down so yes uh and i tried to bring it to rebecca's attention that there were other things that happened in that time setting as well uh, and other atrocities. Okay, here's uh, the thing. That, but she was not as bothered uh, <laughs> by that part of it. <laughs> I am very moved by... Um, you, the, see, you seem moved. I'm very moved. <laughs> I just, you know, I have a weird thing where it's, you know, many people have this, where it's like sometimes when you just like, you know, animals are so innocent. <laughs> <laughs> not that people aren't. Not that people aren't. That's not what I'm saying. Don't twist my words. Think about animals. animals is that they're innocent. <laughs> so that's why it's sadder. It's not sadder. It's easier to see yourself in an animal. <laughs> <laughs> Look. 
Look. I'm looking. Look, you will not find anyone else more sympathetic <laughs> to victims of genocide than me, but I just have animals. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we try again. <laughs> I have not developed enough emotion to be able to relate to humans in the way that I can relate to animals. Okay, okay. That's the real point. <laughs> that 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 was an insightful thing to say. So was the movie good or what? <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> so so I think I texted you afterward, and I was like. You know, I'm like, for all that, all your worries about the animals, the animals are only in it for like the first like 25 minutes and then they're gone. And then she wrote back, terrified and all caps. She's like, what happens in 25 minutes? What happened to the animals in 25 well, yeah, minutes? Yeah, in 25 minutes, all the animals are killed. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so here's what happens. If anyone else out there is having a similar concern, they're going to have to watch like two hours of like animals being... Also, don't being... blame me. They, they, the, the vehicle they made of this movie, it's called the Zookeeper's Wife. You are taken in through the animals. The you're taking the it in through the Andy Sheen. You should see her hand gestures right now that she's I doing. Can't, I haven't. I wasn't even able to approach what the rest of the movie was about mm-hmm. to have sympathy or not because all I knew is that well, the scores zoo. of exotic dead animals, and scores I cannot of get to it. Dead animals. Go on. Uh, well, you know, it is about a zoo. Uh, the animals are are somewhat incidental. Um, but there, and there are lots of shots of Jessica Chastain like lovingly cradling a variety of animals <laughs> um, in the beginning. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so the, there is the bombing and, mm-hmm. um, and when the bombing occurs, um, I think the only thing that was like marginally upsetting was like, you, they show the animals like freaking out in their cages as it starts. Mm-hmm. I, I'm looking in your eyes mm-hmm. and I see them starting to react. <laughs> um, so you see like these, like a, a panicked tiger, you know, mm. um, just pacing in its cage and, uh, you know, it's sad. It is. Uh, so, and then the bombing completes. And you do see some, like, you know, like, animal bits around, you know, like, oh. littering uh, the zoo. Oh, my God. And, uh... I cannot. And, uh, and then they, uh, so the character, so the, the Lutz Heck character, who's, like, the Reich's zoologist, um, he shows up, and he's sort of, like, he's friendly with the Zabinskis. Um, like, oh, like, we're kind of like, oh, we are in the same industry, and I'm, we're all zoologists here, and, you know, you guys have a zoo, I have a zoo in Berlin. And so he comes in and takes, like, the prize animals that are still alive. And it's like, oh, well, I'll take them and put them in safekeeping in Berlin. And then there are some other animals that are left um, to sort of just, like, roam around the zoo. And then this is this is the bad part. Oh. Uh, then as winter comes. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. Then, then the Nazis come back, and then they just shoot all the remaining animals. Also, surprise, Berlin's not that safe. <laughs> You're like, newsflash. <laughs> Right, zoologist. <laughs> Don't know if you know it's about your city, um, but yeah. So that's and that's definitely like the movie has. That's probably its most um, cruel scene in some ways. It's also a scene where two women are shot in the back of the head. But, oh my god, that's terrible! Um, it looks like you trying to approximate human that's emotion terrible. over there. That sounds rough. I mean, it's a Sophie's choice in many ways. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and then you know Jessica Chastain is just like in her house, like looking out the window and seeing them shooting all these animals and you know, uh. crying. And so, <clears throat> but that's all out of the way, you know, about like thirty minutes or so in, and all that is all that is uh, left behind is they have a bunny inside the house. So because they're forced they, to eat once the starvation is <laughs> right. and they show it on camera. They show them just stab it, stab it, and stab it again. Pull it apart by the ears. 
And uh, no, the, the, bu- the bunny is there. The bunny lives. The bunny lives the whole movie. Um, so you have this bunny to follow along with um, as your like animal entry point for the movie since your way in is animals. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's called the zookeeper's <laughs> wife. They, it's a, it's they, about her. The, all, the, all the stills are her and those lions. No. Well, she's because she's pretty and animals are pretty. So a pretty lady holding a pretty animal equals saying. marketing. I feel um, like they surprise you with like the whole like Holocaust like part like of this like movie. Like, <laughs> like it's like it's like Drew Barrymore getting killed and scream all over again. <laughs> Just to thought it was gonna be all about her. <laughs> she dies right away, but she's on the posters. Um, so there's a bunny that stays on, and also um, Jessica Chastain has a little son, and the son keeps a skunk as a pet. <laughs> And there's a joke somewhere with uh, like about like a Polish boy keeping a skunk as a pet. There's gotta be there's gotta be a punchline for that somewhere. Um, but and and I will say also, not to be too petty about it. Oh boy! But if they hadn't been keeping a zoo in the first place with all these exotic animals locked up in cages in Poland, mm-hmm. they would never have died in like Nazi bombings. I mean, they probably still would. So you know, in lieu of, I mean, no, I mean, not if they're like from, from like in Africa, you know, like these are like these. Oh, like, the animals, yeah, the yeah, animals, yeah, the sure. animals, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Um, you know, like so they paid the price just so they could be like in cages with a bunch of like Polacks gawking at them. <laughs> uh, you know, this is not a not a noble death. No, absolutely not. Um, and I say that as a pole. Uh, but um, but yeah, it's it, the animals are done. Um, by yeah, the first half hour of the movie, so. And then at that point, it switches over to the remainder of the narrative um, about them acting as a sort of part of the resistance movement, the sort of like underground railroad of sorts, where they were secreting, you know, um, Jews from the Warsaw Ghetto into their home on the zoo ground, and then transferring them from there into trucks that take them out of occupied territory. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a very important story. Very important story. Um, and one, one thing that the movie does really well is that it really walks you through the entirety of like 1939 to 1945. Oh, wow. That's not an easy task. No. Um, so it really like, it, you know, you feel like you're following along because, you know, it starts with, you know, these airstrikes and as the occupation begins. And then we see like the the ghettos, um, you know, being uh, forming. And then mm-hmm. we see the liquidation of the ghetto, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then from there we, you know, see on through just sort of like the dwindling, the end of, of, of the war and of the occupation. So we see it from beginning to end. Uh, Louis does a good job putting it into a nutshell. Um, but, you know, with that said, it's not, um, it's just really blandly presented. Oh. Like it has a very kind of like glossy blah surface to it. Um, the stakes don't feel as high as they should. Um, and it, it feels like a very sort of quaint, old fashioned kind of melodrama that, that you know, about World War II era uh, Warsaw. Wow. And uh, so, and, you know, it's, and it's, and it's tough because, you know, and this is a conversation that happens every time there's another Holocaust movie is like, okay, you know, like what's, what is, is the angle enough to justify doing another Holocaust movie? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and this is a, you know, it's a true story. It's a story that had been told. Um, but the thing that's, that's bad about it is that the nature of the story automatically sort of, you have to compare it to Schindler's list. Because that was also about a person, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a Gentile who um, used his, uh, you know, his property and uh, in his resources to create a safe space, um, you know, for Jews during, um, you know, the uh, during the Third Reich. And Schindler's List is, you know, like it's a towering, towering achievement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard to do anything that can compare to that film. And this does not, does not. 
uh, you know, so it's it, you know, it's a good story in the sense that, well, the funny thing, this is not a funny thing, funny is the wrong word, but this is the first film about the Holocaust that's come out in um, the Trump administration. And, oh, yeah. you know, and as we all know, unfortunately, you know, there's now been a massive uptick in uh, hate crimes uh, that are anti-Semitic mm-hmm. and, you know, vandalisms of, of Jewish cemeteries and, um, you know, bomb threats being called into Jewish schools and, and organizations. And uh, and so it is it is newly, uh, you know, relevant again, you know, not that, you know, hate crimes and discrimination are ever not relevant, sadly, right. but now particularly um, it's relevant now. And. It's also relevant to the issue of refugees, which mm-hmm. after the screening, yeah. they actually had a panel um, of people who work at um, refugee organizations in the Bay Area to talk about, um, you know, what that scene looks like today. Because this story, the story of Zookeeper's Wife is fundamentally about refugees and about a woman who helps refugees mm-hmm. and a woman and her husband. Because that's a funny thing is that's called a Zookeeper's Wife, but it's actually like pretty much equally about the zookeeper as well. <laughs> Like he's there for almost the whole thing as well, and um, and it's something that they're both very much doing together. But um, so and they were talking about um, yeah, just the different kinds of aid that are available in the Bay Area. They were answering clarifying questions about what exactly the government does do and doesn't do to try to calm some of like you know the insanity of like oh, but they're giving us all this money and they're mm-hmm. um, no, not true. Um, and even to call out that you know the U.S. response to the refugee crisis during World War II was historically like underwhelming shitty Mm -hmm. very shitty there were limits yeah so you know so we have a bad record on this in general Mm -hmm. and now boy it's gonna get real bad now um but uh but yeah i think the movie despite its sort of like kind of mediocre-ish overall vibe um you know it's good because it it will help drive home for people who have bought into these insane narratives that we should be somehow afraid mm-hmm. of fugitive of, of of refugees um or you know like oh they're a mighty strain on our resources but you know but let's pay for fucking trump towers yearly right. security and all that horseshit um so i think it, i think it's good because it, it does go down easy as a movie like it's easy to watch and it, you know it's emotionally uh gripping Jessica Chastain uh, is, I think she's actually the only um, non-local actor in the movie. I think everyone mm-hmm. else in the cast is like German and Polish, including poor Daniel Bruhl um, from Inglorious Bastards. Once again, has to play oh. a horrible, <laughs> oh, no. horrible Nazi. Um, and he, because he he is, he plays Lutz Heck. Mm. Um, and he, oh man, like if you thought you wanted to kill him in Inglorious Bastards, he is skin crawling um, in this movie. And, uh, whew, yeah, there's, there's, there's one particularly perverse scene. So he has this weird thing he's trying to do where he wants to, and this is all true. Um, he wanted to somehow breed, um, an, uh, an extinct species called the aurochs um, back into existence, mm-hmm. which was very much in keeping with the whole like Nazi sure. thing of like medical experimentation, all that horse shit. And so there's a scene where, uh, where he is trying to, he like calls out Chastain because she, she realizes that she has to keep him on her good side and so she has to kind of do whatever he asks her to do and he absolutely exploits that and um and a scene where he calls her out and um and he's like you know it looks like he's just trying to calm this kind of like this this buffalo or this bison of some sort and he's like here hold it and so she's like holding it trying to calm it down because she's in a way with animals and then he like waves this other thing in and it's an, it's like a male buffalo or bison. I think he was trying to crossbreed them to create the oh, Oroks. Okay. And then <laughs> we, we realized it's too late is that he's basically making her hold the female so that the male can can have uh. sex with it. And the way that it, and the way that they're saying physically, 
he is also blocking her with his body while this is going on. Oh, and so God. she's basically like pressed up against this animal rape um, that oh. she is complicit in. So it's a very German scene, is what I'm saying. So there's, <laughs> oh, he, it really, even though it takes place in Warsaw, it really brings the Berlin perversion. He brings it with him. <laughs> I think it was appropriate for the times. So glad I didn't see this movie. Uh, so, and Chastain is fine. I will say that I'm starting to be concerned that... She stopped chastaining? You know, I think you know she. I think she's going to keep chastaining, but I worry that she lacks a certain shading at times, a certain complexity. I feel like like her performances oh. are always so just so just like full, full. open hearted performances. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know whether she's playing um, you know a goodie or a baddie, um, and <laughs> uh, and so I feel like I, I would like to see some more shading from yeah. her in her performances because it's starting to seem like she's not interesting as an actress mm, like you know she's too one-dimensional like she has great emotional it's all too it seems too easy you know like she has like great emotional access and that's mm-hmm. you know what you need but it just seems like it's too um she's too almost beatific which i mean is why she works so well on the tree of life just like nancy kerrigan <laughs> same 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 I same hear you. I hear her you. yeah her virtue is her downfall mm-hmm. so but anyway so what are you giving this one i'm giving it assume in moderation okay um mostly because it uh the animal rape uh i mean that was a highlight for me uh no it was just the general sort of like you know just unspectacular um Mm -hmm. nature of the rest of the movie uh zookeeper's wife is rated pg-13 for thematic elements disturbing images violence brief sexuality nudity and smoking oh that's right so this is pg-13 but you you get a jessica chastain titty in this movie i was shocked to find out it was pg-13 because there is a titty didn't didn't know that movie star titty in this Nazi film. Hmm. Um, so that brings us to our, our third, our final movie, The Boss Baby, which is our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of, of the week. week. A new baby's arrival impacts a family, told from the point of view of a delightfully unreliable narrator, a wildly imaginative seven-year-old named Tim. The most unusual boss baby arrives at Tim's home in a taxi, wearing a suit and carrying a briefcase. The instant sibling rivalry must soon be put aside when Tim discovers that Boss Baby is actually a spy on a secret mission, and only he can help thwart a dastardly plot that involves an epic battle between puppies and babies. You've got the right baby for this job. I know how important this mission is to the company. Mission? You can talk! Ah! Poop duty! Ah! I've got to deal with the KID. Who are you? I'm on a mission. There's not enough love to go around. My job is to find out why. Now give me a double espresso and see if there's some place around here with decent sushi I'd kill for a spicy tuna roll right about now. Wow, pick of the week. I know, I know. Um, and and if you <laughs> to get ahead of anyone who might be checking, this is, yes, technically the film with the lowest tomato meter score. <laughs> of the three this week although they're not very far from each other they're all kind of like 40s 50s all three of them Mm -hmm. um but this one okay if you are a 30 rock fan Mm -hmm. and you think the idea of jack donaghy reimagined as like a scheming baby is hilarious you will love this movie. And okay. if you don't think that's funny, I don't have anything to say to you. <laughs> because it is funny. It is funny. It is so fucking funny. You know, it's kind of a one joke movie in the sense that yeah, like a, a lot of humor comes out of, well, I don't mean like it's, I mean, there's lots of jokes. There's lots of gags. No, but it's like but Jack Donaghy the idea is one of, character in a, in a group of amazing characters. Yes, but he's also like 
an amazing character. True. Um, and Alec Baldwin is one of the most gifted um, voice actors. It's amazing he doesn't get cast to do more, probably because his voice is so distinctive. It's too distinct, yeah. But, like, if you are somebody who has watched 30 Rock in its entirety, you know all the insane places he can push his voice. Mm-hmm. And he is very generous with all those insane variations on his voice in this movie. They all get their time in the spotlight. Um, And, you know, between this and Will Arnett and the Lego Batman movie, Mm. like the whole whole animated, (laughs) you know, calendar year of movies is basically playing out like the Jad Johanneke, Devin Banks talking like this contest (laughs) from um, mid-series on 30 Rock. So... And the, the joke of Alec Baldwin's voice coming out of a baby, it worked for me every time. Okay. It was funny to me from beginning to end. Because, like, of all the people in the world, I can't think of anybody whose voice would be funnier coming out of a baby than Alec Baldwin's. Because his voice is so, like, you know, like, velvety and knowing and kind of, like, decadent. And, and uh, you know, and it's just, it's, it's, it's. It's just, it's a baby. It's coming out of a baby. I don't know what else to say. It is hilarious to me. And, um, you know, and he does push at lots of, at lots of hilarious places. And um, the baby is certainly, it's much more of a Donaghy than it is the other person who he's become famous for playing recently. Um, although I did, when I first saw like posters for this, it was a concern. I was like, oh, I'm like, he really like spun this Trump impression into a spinoff movie real quick. <laughs> um, but no, this baby is far more competent than Donald Trump, uh, far smarter. Um, uh, the one thing that the baby does have in common with, uh, with Trump is that he literally just throws money at problems. <laughs> um, there's like this running gag through the movie where like anytime something happens, like isn't right. You just like see like this like fistful of dollar bills, like fly from the, from the baby's <laughs> direction toward the direction where the problem is. And this little like ding sound happens. It's hilarious. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it's still, uh, and there's even a little like, I don't know if this is suggestive or not. You tell me. Maybe I'm just a pervert. But there's a scene where um, he is trying to bond with the older brother. and um, Or, oh, no, no, no. It's not even a bonding thing. So he's trying to open up the brother's eyes to see the reality of this kind of secret mission he's there for. And to get him to open his eyes, he needs to... Um, uh, he needs to use his pacifier. And so the baby extends his pacifier out to his older brother, who's seven and a half. And he's like, here, take this. And um, the brother's like, what do you want me to do with that? And he's like, I want you to suck it. And he's like, what? I'm not doing that. He's like, do it. Suck it now. Mm. And, uh, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm like looking around at all the kids at this 11 a.m. Saturday <laughs> screen. I'm like, you guys getting this? <laughs> um, because, or maybe, again, guys, I'm just, I'm just like 30 rock condition to like yeah. read the innuendo because of the, like, when, um, the, uh, the episode where Kenneth took over his job for a day and oh, like yeah. tops and bottoms days or whatever it was. And he was like, <laughs> I need you to ride me, Kenneth. I need you to ride me hard. <laughs> um, so I was reading into that. Another thing I was reading into from 30 Rock is the kid's last name. So he only calls his older brother by the family's last name. <laughs> um, and the last name is Templeton. Templeton is not only a name from 30 Rock. It had its own song. 
So whenever Jack is first dating Elisa, Sama Hayek's character, oh. and she is a nurse, and she is, oh, she's with an old man. The old guy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Templeton, Templeton. Templeton. <laughs> and there's a whole montage of them like going out around town yeah, with this with like catatonic old man, and there's somebody singing like Templeton, Templeton. <laughs> uh, and so and that's a kid's last name. <laughs> and so he's like, "Listen to me, Templeton. This is very serious." <laughs> and I'm just like, "Oh, <laughs> uh, you know." So I was delighted. Uh, and I the, can see you still are. I am. And the premise, I think, is hilarious. So the premise is, this, and not, not the premise of, like, a boss baby, but the premise of, like, that there is this battle between Baby Corp and Puppy Co. over who has more market shares of cuteness. <laughs> um, that is just cute. Like, you don't, it's a fucking animated family film. You don't need more than that. That's a funny idea. Uh, and the visual look of the movie actually remind me a little bit of when I was watching it I was like oh this kind of reminds me of like Ren and Stimpy at times oh. some of the animated style um, in like especially in um, in the kids like fantasy sequences because as the summary mentioned he has like a very active imagination mm-hmm. they had a certain look that called back to me Ren and Stimpy and then I was looking on the credits of the guys who made the movie and the director did two episodes of Ren and Stimpy oh interesting uh, he also directed Megamind and all the Madagascar movies and the guy who wrote it is a former longtime SNL writer, which explains why mm-hmm. he can write for Alec Baldwin. Um, and uh, and he also wrote the Austin Powers movies, which of course are a mixed bag. <laughs> oh, and he wrote and he wrote Baby Mama. So oh. you know, so between SNL yeah. and Baby Mama, it, it makes sense why like I had fucking Thirty Rock on the brain mm-hmm. uh, when I was watching this movie, and why this appealed to you, and why it appealed to me so much. And you know, and, uh, we also have Lisa Kudrow doing the voice of the mother. So oh, yeah. is it Seth Rogen who's the no, mother? Uh, no, Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy actually. Kimmel. Yeah, Jimmy Kimmel and Seth Rogen. And then um, the movie is randomly narrated by Tobey Maguire, who's playing like a grown-up version of Ooh. the seven-year-old. He has like five lines at the beginning and end of the movie. I'm like, why did you even bother getting Tobey Maguire to do that? Um, and then Steve Buscemi does the voice of like uh, the villain in the movie. He's a puppy. Uh, no, <laughs> he's not a puppy. No. Uh, but uh, but you know it's it's just it's it's funny. It worked. It just worked for me. I was delighted. I think that you're going to enjoy this movie when you finally uh, see it, and you'll be one of your like sick movies. <laughs> It'll go on your sick movie oh, list. Can't wait. I I've been getting sick more and more often, I, I, so I need to add some more to the queue. I just felt. I just. I, it, it delighted me. It thoroughly delighted me. Wow. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, it's, I think it did, it did the job. You know, it did the job. And, uh, and I, and, and, you know, it, it, the setting feels very kind of, it's also, it's not one of those animated movies that tries to like be like of depicting uh, the current moment we're in. It feels very oh, out of there's time. There's no like added rap song? No. Um, it feels very, like it feels like it could take place in the 50s or 60s. It takes place in like an idyllic suburb and there's mm-hmm. no technology and you know, with that kind of ransomy animation look at times, you know, it 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 just yeah, it, it takes you out of time. And uh, it was yeah, it was just thoroughly pleasing and hilarious. And Alec Baldwin, it, this is, it's almost like he knows that he can only do one giant voice actor role mm-hmm. because, and like we talked one. about, and so he just goes all in and does every ridiculous, insane thing his voice has the possibility of doing. And uh, and he does it beautifully. Um, so it's a tremendous voice performance from him. Well, this sounds like a really good time. And I'm assuming you're giving it a binge it because I it's am. the pick of the week. Yes. Uh, and it's rated PG for mild rude humor, which could be that innuendo joke you mentioned. So good. Um, and that's it. That's the last movie. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can follow Jason on Twitter. He is... Excess Baggage. I am at Fight Balance. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. 
Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.